Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of In the Barn. I'm Robin. And I'm Kelsey. And in today's episode, we put our research skills to the test for a different purpose. If you read the title, you know we are about to dive into the horrible mess that is U.S. team writer Marilyn Little. In case you guys haven't noticed, you didn't read the title, we are about to talk about Marilyn Little and dive into her controversies, what has happened with her career over the last, like, you know, few years. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot and it's not a lot because I feel like some of this is just unknown still, but she just operates in a very gray area and has a lot of really, 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 really questionable people surrounding her. And I think that's definitely on purpose. So I want to start by reading a blog post. So I have two blog posts that I'm going to share, one in the beginning of this episode and one at the end of this episode. They were both written the exact same day, which is October 19th, 2016. So this is before Rolex 2018. Rolex 2018 is like the date most people know about when it comes to Marilyn Little and her drama. That was definitely the first day... The first time I ever heard her or really came across her name was back in old Rolex 2018. I know, back... It was still Rolex then, wasn't it? I will always and forever call it Rolex. I don't think I could ever get it to change my mind to Kentucky three-day event. How are they ever going to fit that on a hat? If it was shorter, if it was shorter, I could do it. But Rolex is just like short and sweet and I'm lazy. I don't I don't have the time for all those extra words. We grew up calling it Rolex. There's no way you're going to get me to change my habits of what I call it. And everyone knows what we mean by when we say Rolex. Yes. So we're talking about Rolex. And I'm pretty sure we're also talking about the old star system. So keep that in mind because they're going to – I'm going to talk about like three star. And the three star used to be the four star. So keep that in mind that they're – the star system also changed in our history. So it might be a little confusing for this uh, episode. But anyways, the first blog that I want to share is from Eventing Connect from their webpage. And it's titled, Eventers who live in glass barns should not throw stones at Marilyn Little. Just going to jump into the post. So I'm just going to share a little snip of it with you guys. <laughs> but from a writer's perspective, I want to point out a little reality about eventing. There is certainly an anti-Marilyn Little sentiment with a group of press and writers. Competitively, she has gone from beginning her eventing career in 2010 to chalking up more FEI wins than most of us will ever accomplish in a lifetime. She has won at every level up to the three-star on different horses. Let's be honest, there's a group of riders annoyed that despite working hard and for a lack of talent, horses, or support, they will never achieve Maryland's success. She floated into eventing from show jumping and competitively stole many ribbons and top placings from lifelong eventers. Unlike many, I think it is inspiring to watch her in every phase. Marilyn has had blood show up in a couple of different horses' mouths within, with different bits over the last couple of years. But each incident has been reviewed on an individual basis by the FEI officials each time and not once has there been a gaping wound that warranted further action. Bad luck, heavy hands, strong bits. Regardless, I don't believe there's an FBI conspiracy to let her get away with horse abuse. So uh, that's how we're going to open up Duh. to Marilyn Little. And uh, listen to this episode because uh, your mind might be changed if this is where you're starting from. Because how is it? bad luck, heavy hands, or a strong bit? How is that even an excuse? Like, I'm sorry. How is that even an excuse? I don't know, but I would just like to throw it out there already off the bat. This isn't 
like it's not a hate campaign against Marilyn Little. I think honestly, we just have more questions for FEI, right? This is she's had she's a writer that's had questionable incidents come up time and time again, and I think we all now just have more questions for FEI as to like why things haven't changed to a greater extent or why like rules haven't changed at all in that I mean look at show jumping and dressage their blood rules compared to eventing's blood rules are very different they have an automatic disqualification elimination if there's blood seen on the horse whether that be the mouth or from spurs and I understand that that freaking sucks if your horse really did bite their lip and now you are at an event that you paid so much money to get to had to you know go and get sponsors you had to rally to get to this event this is your one chance to freaking make it and then your horse stumbles bites their lip they're brushed against a stall door or something and there's blood on their side no matter how small it is and that freaking sucks that you get automatically disqualified but I think the rule is there for the greater purpose and that is when it's not an accident and it's not a mistake and even if like we don't want to instigate or like initiate a rule of automatic disqualification in eventing I think maybe we should do automatic yellow cards for blood showing up on the horse and it's occurring with both spurs and bits. Yeah, and that's another thing. Like, Marilyn Little, for whatever reason, has been the face of this campaign of the anti... You know, well, obviously, anti-blood is like, no, blood's bad. But, like, <laughs> she's been the face of this. But she is not the only violator or the only person that's having these no. problems. This is a sport-wide issue. And while no one while the FBI isn't calling out Marilyn, I'm not exactly sure why she is the face of public outrage. If it's just because no one else is getting caught to the same degree that she is, I'm not really I don't really know what that is. I think that's probably part of it and I think she just makes a great example because we'll sh- explain in the episode, right? We'll go through different examples, sh- talk about different things and instances that show the favoritism skewed in her direction. And so I think she just is a really great example of that rider, that upper level rider that these organizations are willing to brush things under the rug for. And she like exemplifies all those attributes that us normies are like struggling against and where FBI will choose to make examples out of certain riders and then other riders they have the same actions and they just brush it under the rug. So I think she's like <laughs> like a great bad example for that behavior. Yeah, it's interesting, but we'll talk about it. We'll go through it. And I do want to throw out there that like just because I am not a five-star eventer does not mean my eyes don't work. Like I still can see bad writing. I can still read legal documents and understand what is happening in this person's world. It doesn't take a top rider to recognize an abusive situation or a bad rider. You know, think of that time you were sitting watching show jumping. You know, it may have been the advanced show jumping and you and the rest of the audience collectively <laughs> gasped the entire round. I bet not a single one of you was advanced riders, but you know a bad show jumping round. When you see one, you know abuse and bad riding and inappropriate, you know, over-the-top aggression, over-the-top of bits when you see it. You don't have to be a top rider. So I do want to just like, if that's your excuse that I'll never know because I don't ride at that level, I don't want to do that to ride at that level. Um, And we're just trying to explain what we're seeing and not – we're not trying to – yeah, like you said, we're not trying to smear her. We're not trying to slander, liable, anything like that. We're just trying to explain – what we're seeing and what the facts are. And like I said, we've done our research. I've got the legal documents. Like we've done a lot <laughs> done, of research. We've done a lot of research. We know what's we know, you know, what is being documented, what is not being documented, and what is 
and isn't happening. So, so why don't you start us off? Introduce us to Miss Marilyn Little. Okay, so I'm going to start with a little bio and a little background on her parents and her family. So Marilyn Little was born uh, and raised in Frederick, Maryland. That's where she currently trains out of. I think that's her summer facility, and then she's got a winter facility in Florida. She was born December 1st, 1981, so I think she's turning 40 this year. So happy 40th birthday. That's not exciting at all. <laughs> so I'm turning 30 this year, so I'm sure her and I mentally are about in the same place. Those, those birthdays that end in zero are a little intimidating. She is really hard to find on, on the onlines. Like, I wanted to find her biography from her and use her own words. I could only find her website by using the Wayback Machine. And of course, the About page wasn't one they had a, had a screenshot for. So that was frustrating. She also like isn't on Facebook. She has an Instagram page, but she barely uses it. So I don't know what her sponsors are getting out of her because aren't you supposed to post like sponsored content constantly to promote them? But she's a very like not socially media visible. And I... I think it's it's kind of a reoccurring theme whenever one of her instances comes about. That's actually when she mentions her sponsors. She'll like thank them. <laughs> like I couldn't be here and be doing this without them. Right. And that's why like. That's where they get named. And I think also she took probably it's harder to find who her sponsors are now because after the whole 2018 debacle, people really started reaching out to her sponsors and being like, hey, we don't like this. And so they probably just don't. They're like, we'll sponsor you. Just don't let people know we sponsor you. <laughs> well, that defeats the purpose of sponsorships. I, do, I mean, I was able to find who some of her sponsors were off of her Instagram page because, like, she hashtagged them. But I do think, like, she's almost doing herself a bit of a disservice, right? Like, she's trying to cocoon herself and isolate herself from criticism, which I totally get. Like, for your mental health, that's important. The social media world we live in is dangerous and scary, and people say really mean things. But also, there's no evidence that you're a good person. Like, and I, that sounds really bad, but, like, I most top riders are showing you their everyday life on Facebook and Instagram. They're showing you the treatment and the care and the love that these horses get. They're showing you the barn. They're showing you the training. And while it's not everything, obviously social media is just the good stuff and the bad stuff isn't shown. If you don't show anything, like our minds can run wild. So I don't think she's doing herself a service by hiding everything. But that's that's her own choice. That's her own personal choice. She's probably just trying to outrun them haters. So I get that. So Marilyn Little, she grew up, like I said, in Frederick, um, Maryland, and she grew up on her family's farm. It's called Ray Lynn Farms. Her dad is Ray. Her mom is Lynn. They are both like horsey people, and they did this ridiculous name combination thing that I'm sorry, guys. It drives me insane. They're like, I don't. It's like Donida Farms. Yeah, it's exactly. It's Donida. Like, I'm sorry. It's just obnoxious. (laughs) Like, I get it. Like, Ray Lynn Farms honestly isn't a bad name, but like the Ray and the Lynn is just annoying. It just annoys me. Marilyn started riding. She did a lot of like pony club and gaming and Western and a bunch of different stuff when she was a little girl. And then by the time she was six or seven or maybe later, because I don't know, the newspaper articles I was finding kind of conflicted a little bit. At some point, she switched over to the pony hunters, which totally makes sense because her mom, Lynn Little, was a U.S. equestrian team member. She had been on the team like seven times as a show jumper. And she is quite an accomplished rider herself uh, as gone and won many Grand Prix jumpy boppy things and won the monies Uh, and she took Marilyn along with her while Marilyn was growing up. So her mom her job is that she's an equine importer and her dad is a trailer manufacturer so 
that's helpful when you're uh, in the horse business to have those people around you. So she, uh, Marilyn, was fairly successful at a young age with her horses, competing at Grand Prix level at the age of 16. As most of us know, she you know was a show jumper before she became an eventer in 2010 is when she started eventing. Um, but she grew up riding her mom's sale horses. So horses were constantly being sold out from underneath her. And I have a theory that like this really leads to riders later in life sort of disassociating from their horse partners and really like not having a great bond. And I've seen this with other top riders who grew up in similar situations that there's just a different mentality. And that's my own theory, my own like conspiracy theory about what happens when your parents are constantly selling your horses. That it doesn't lead to having great relationships with your horses later in life. You get used to having that relationship kind of ripped away, you know? Yeah, you, of course, you you shield yourself. You want to protect yourself and you want to not get attached and just see that horse as just a horse, not your best friend. My horses are my best friends. It bothers my boyfriend sometimes, but they are my best friends. But I got to keep my horses and I got to build that relationship and I got to cry into their manes and I had a relationship with them. And I know that sounds not like a weird relationship, but you guys, horse girls, crazy horse girls know exactly what I'm saying right now. <laughs> and that doesn't happen if your best friend keeps getting like shipped off and sold. Like you you, protect, you learn to protect yourself. So by 1999, Marilyn was competing at the National Horse Show at Madison Square Garden, which sounds really cool. I think that year she won or was like in the top three or whatever, and so was BZ Madden. So she was, you know, amongst these uh, show jumper royalty, and she grew up being a very privileged kid on the East Coast, being friends with a lot of the top people who later became the top riders in Grand Prix uh, show jumping. Like she grew up very privileged around those people. By 2000, she was a U.S. team rider and was competing in show jumping at the four-star level and competing around the globe as a team rider and was successfully still teaching and coaching out of her family's farm in Frederick, Maryland. She was married in 2008, um, and she did did ride her horse. I don't think she rode it down the alley or not the walkway. What's the aisle? Aisle. <laughs> the alleyway. <laughs> it's not a barrel horse. <laughs> Um, she did ride it down and the horse did have alley issues and they were divorced in 2014. Actually, I don't know if the horse had alley issues, but I would just imagine if your horse has alley issues at your wedding, not a great sign. So in 2010, October 2010, she was a riding instructor as well as uh, a well-known show jumper at that point. And she was teaching a lot of eventers. She had a lot of students who were eventers. And basically one day she was watching uh, the World Equestrian Games on a TV, which in 2010, they were in Kentucky. And she was like, that looks like fun. I should try it. So the next weekend she did. <laughs> so that following weekend, <laughs> she grabbed her horse Udana who we'll talk about more later. And they went and competed training level. Uh, and then four months later, they won their first prelim in Florida. So they just like kicked it off. And even a few more months later, they were competing in Europe. Like she, and I, and I honestly like, well, it sounds like she went really fast. She was a US team rider and competing globally for one sport, show jumping, which is it. It's different than eventing, not going to lie. But like once you've gotten to that top level in one sport, getting there again, is it um, if you want to do it, it's not out of the question. Like, I don't think it's a miracle. I think any rider who wants to make that switch can make that switch. Like, well, I mean, look at look at Mikhail Young. He don't look at him. He's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, like, you're, so through this podcast, you're probably going to learn that I am not a fan of most of <laughs> 
characters. They all just sort of drive me insane for one reason or another. Mikul Young being one of them. Okay, I just, I don't, I don't, I just don't. He's not. He's unnecessary. He's a little unnecessary. Like he's got an amazing. He's cocky because he's won so many times, but. He does put forth some really great rides. And I always loved no. him on Sam. Sam puts forth some really great rides. I am sick and tired. I saw a video today on TikTok that was like, look at Mikkel Young getting his stride from like a mile out. No. He did. I'll give you that. He's a bad cross-country rider. And we're not picking on him. He just has a very unique. Actually, him and Marilyn, you right, have like a very it's similar style. It's the show style that they take out on cross-country. And it is scary. Yeah, they just long rain it and haul around the course and it's not good it's not yes good. there has been a few um michael young cross-country rides that he's had on fisher Okana that like there was one rolex one where she just kind of skidded across the top of almost every single jump and at the end i remember jim wofford did a like little recap of that course that day and he like talks about his ride and goes he had a lot more missed strides than he had of hitch strides in this course and i was like yeah that was not a pretty one. He's still one, of course, but like his cross country scares me sometimes. Yeah. No, and I remember watching Rolex and him going around and even like the commentators were like, uh, this is not good. <laughs> like, yeah, he's doing fine, <laughs> but like this is not like not ideal. I don't even know where we went with that, but it, back to Maryland. <laughs> Oh, the point being that if you want to make the swap, you can make the swap. By 2015, Marilyn was competing on the U.S. eventing team, and they won the 2015 Pan American Games. And this is a big deal. You're going to see this Pan Am Games mentioned a lot because it when you're looking at sort of her success with eventing, that win came after a bit of a medal drought for the United States eventing team and was seen as a really big success. And she's contributed to being the reason they won because it came down to the last second in show jumping. And she's a show jumping pro, obviously. And she also won individual gold at that competition. So she not only did they win team gold, she got individual. And like, good on her. But I do think she gets a lot of praise and a lot of like people protecting her because of that. And, and they're not, like, we'll show you the documents in this episode. They're not, like, hiding that. That's, like, a well-known fact. In 2018, she was riding Scandalous or Kitty. They were doing great. They were winning all the things and the stuff. And they were supposed to go. I did look this up now. <laughs> they were supposed to go to WEG in 2018, but she had to pull but out. she had an injury. Yeah, she got injured. Um, and then Kitty, I just want to talk about her for a second. She is co-owned by Michelle Manders and Phoebe Manders, who I don't know who they are. I'm sure they're great people. They've actually owned a couple of her horses. I think they own Smoke on the Water as well. I've seen their names pop up. But also Jacqueline Mars is a partial owner in Kitty. And Jacqueline Mars, if you don't know who she is, Jacqueline Mars is heir to the Mars candy bars fortune. So she's got like $30 billion to her name. She is basically the reason eventing can exist in the United States. They, The Mars family is one of the biggest sponsors. In fact, Marilyn Little just won like $50,000 at a Mars eventing showcase. Yeah. Like the Mars family has or Jacqueline Moore specifically has done a lot of donating and supporting of the team riders and I just think it's interesting that she is an owner and still t- is an owner in Scandalous despite all the issues around Marilyn and so does Jackie know something we don't know or what what is that relationship like that re- to just be the biggest supporter of eventing and support Marilyn by owning her horse is just 
interesting to me. A lot of wires becoming crossed that I'm curious on how they untangle, you know? Yeah, for sure. Especially since Jacqueline has power in this community. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'd be ignorant to say that those that hold the money do not hold the power because they definitely do and they sway many, many decisions. For sure. And I did, I was looking up Jacqueline Mars because I think it'd be interesting. We should do a little bit of a podcast on her at some point. But her ex-husband, who is a Vogel, if y'all watched, I don't know what those videos are, but you know. Oh my God. You know if you know about the Vogel boot commercials. Vogel boots. Uh, every single time, our mom used to sit us down and watch these VHS tapes and the guy in his Vogel boots. He loved his Vogel. It haunts me to this day. Anyway, she was married to a Vogel and he, when they got divorced, had some very interesting things to say about how paranoid and secretive and all kinds of stuff she she was, which is interesting. You know, obviously he's probably bitter. He, uh, he was bitter because she maybe didn't mention she was a Mars to him and so he was upset that he didn't know how rich she was while they were getting a divorce and i mean it was (laughs) messy as rich people divorces are so maybe he had invested interest but i did think it was interesting that he made some of these statements so um just to wrap up this little bio of Marilyn before we talk about her parents real quick she did win Red Hills four star this last weekend she won on her dressage score i think i know she was winning after dressage i think she probably went clear i think she went clear the rest of the time So she's still out there. She's still competing. Obviously, 2020 was a quiet year for everyone. Things are starting to pick up again in 2021. So we'll see what she gets up to this year. So before I hand over the microphone to Robin, I want to talk about... That's me. That's your Robin? I am. Oh. That's what I've been told. That's what my mom told me. So hopefully that's true. Mish, what if your mom lied? Like, what if you pulled out your birth certificate and you're like, my name's not Robin? <laughs> Real fun fact for everyone out there. Um, my name is actually spelt incorrectly on my high school diploma. So there's that hanging out there in the world. Did I even graduate high school? Who knows? We will never know. That is terrifying. <laughs> it is. I'm sorry. So back to Marilyn Little. So back to Marilyn Little. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to just run through some lawsuits real quick because I found these interesting. I actually find lawsuits and legal documents fascinating. Like as you start reading them, you read the summary. Um, <laughs> I apologize. So the first lawsuit is from, it kind of wrapped up, it looks like in March 2012. So a few years ago. These also just preface are the only ones I could actually find substantial documentation on. There are many other lawsuits that our family is involved with, all kind of a similar nature. The reason I do want to talk about her parents is because Marilyn Little is proud to be part of the family business. She still trains out of her family farm and she in interviews does say that she's part of the family business and this is just a little example of what the family business is. And she says that she's really close with her parents and such. Really close with her parents. Yeah. Yeah, like it's a, they're they're a tight knit group. So just cuz her name isn't on these does I just there. She's a bystander at the at the minimum. At a minimum, she knows what's going on and like shrugs it off and it doesn't bother her. At the worst, she's profiting from it. So the first one is Raylan Farms versus Erie Insurance Exchange. This is actually them suing the insurance company. The insurance company is like who insures the horses. So Erie Insurance Exchange insured their horses. They had a mare who was 
imported and supposed to be a top-level show jumper, and then a broodmare who was lost in a trailer accident. At the time when this happened, the insurance company was required to get a valuation of that horse in order to determine the proper payout. The insurance company did not take the proper steps to get that valuation done and just countered and said, your horse is worth $200,000 and we'll pay you that. Her parents countered and said, no, the horse is actually worth a million dollars and we would like to be paid <laughs> the million dollar valuation. After going through the court system, it was determined that the horse was actually $600,000 and that like accounts for like the lost earnings, the lost show potential, even though this horse like actually came, showed and failed as a show jumper and was so its breeding potential was a lot lower. They still ended up being awarded the $600,000. Well, this case doesn't sound like that big of a deal because the insurance company messed up too and then they said it, the horse was a million dollars. It's just sort of a pattern that they have of misrepresenting their horses. So the second case kind of occurred between 2013, 2015 is when the legal portion occurred and then like the actual incident was 2011. So this is Iron Horse Farms Inc. versus Raylan Farms Inc. So Iron Horse is a farm that is located in Europe. It is run by the Aziz family. Uh, they contacted Raylan because they were seen as experts and they, right, the mom's an importer, wanted to import a couple of show jumpers for their daughters at that time. And they wanted like pre-green horses or green horses. So they were like, I, I don't understand hunter jumpers, but I think it means the horses have only competed in one year or like this is their second year. So they wanted like amateur friendly hasn't done a ton of competition so they contacted them and basically these two companies the two farms ended up suing each other over breach of contract and like failure to pay so basically the story is that they brought the horses over from europe they brought these two horses and they were quarantined at one farm and then after the quarantine was over they were transferred to Raylan farms and Raylan was supposed to do the they were supposed to do the training and get these horses then sent to Florida where the two daughters who bought the horses would be riding once these two horses arrived in Florida specifically horse named perfect I think the other horse was like McCain Mario all these horses have dumb names. And Perfect isn't even the horse's <laughs> name. It was just the name that the court settled on because the horse had so many names. There's like a whole discussion about like, we're just going to call it Perfect because it has too many names. So like, the horse is perfect. <laughs> and it turns out the horse wasn't perfect. And that's the whole point of the story. So basically the Mario horse goes down to Florida and one of the daughters is like, cool, I like this one. And then the Perfect horse came down to Florida and she was like, nah, I don't like this one. Even though dad had just dropped $260,000 on this horse and had just Jeez. wired the money. Like he had wired the money to the Raylan. I'm going to say Raylan's because it's easier than saying Ray and Lynn. He had wired the money to Raylan a month before the horse like went to Florida. This all happened like really quickly. And so they said, we don't want the horse. We want a full refund and you can sell the horse for us. The whole court story is like they said the horse was $300,000. Like they wouldn't sell the horse unless it was sold for $300,000 or more, which is like way above the horse's value. But that was the Z's wanted that $300,000. And what happened after two years, it took them two years to sell this horse because they kind of had to do a weird thing because obviously no one wanted to pay that much money for this horse. They had to take the horse to a livestock auction. At the livestock auction, the Raylan Farms, Marilyn's parents bought the horse back for $40,000 and then sold it like a day or two later to someone else for $120,000. And then they billed the Aziz family, Iron Horse, for $165,000 for boarding and training. So the courts basically found that they owed, I'm trying to figure out how this worked out. So basically they owed the $40,000 
Okay, so they determined that the $40,000 that they paid for the horse actually had to go to the Aziz family, but that the Aziz family had to pay the $65,000 in boarding. So it worked out that they were awarded like $120,000. It's basically, this one is just a mess because I feel like we really over like inflated how much boarding costs at your own personal farm. Uh, and just like sort of the trouble that the horse had to go through and the sales and the multiple owners. It's just the horse didn't matter. It was the money that mattered. And I get it. It's a lot of money. Money, but like $165,000 for board? I don't know Jeez. what your horse is eating, but that's a lot. That's a lot. The other horse was only there for a month and racked up $2,500 in board. Again, I don't know what, because everything else, and you're going to be like, oh, maybe it's the vet bills from quarantine. No, all of that was paid by Aziz, that fa- their family, prior to the horses arriving. So like vet bills, there's a bunch of stuff that they were paying Iron Horse was paying. The 165000 was just bored. Wow. They really... I just think that's interesting. So the last lawsuit I'm going to talk about, because this is the last one I have access to, is Bernard and Joan Carroll versus Rayland Farms, Inc. This one occurred, the legal proceedings occurred in 2005 to 2007. So this one's a little bit older, but this one's a little bit more interesting as well. So this is the same <laughs> situation. Raylan was hired in order to purchase and train and board a couple horses they imported from Europe. They basically ended up importing seven horses for over a million dollars for this family. Well, for their daughters. Again, same. Who imports that many horses other than Caroline Martin? Well, it, who imports oh that God, many horses? Caroline Martin, slow down. Like, what are you? Do you have a private plane? She has like a private plane that just like, like I don't understand. She has a multiple private planes. Like, it's just a lot of horses. It's just a lot. Of I see regular, like at least once a week, a post of a new import. And I'm like, holy crap. It's another one. Yeah, it's so many. I don't know. Do your, do your thing, girl. Like, I actually really like Carolyn Martin. Despite, I don't like her business, but I actually really like listening to her. She's really smart, and I enjoy listening to her. So no shade. It just, I don't know. They import things weird to me. I just have questions. I just have questions. I guess, yeah, I just want to talk. I just want to have questions. Just questions. Want to know more? Want to know more? You know, my horses all are, like, backyard Craigslist horses. So I guess I really... I'm just not one to judge. I shouldn't judge is what I'm saying. <laughs> We're in a different world. We don't yes. even compare. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking like I spent – Addie was $500. It's like for what she is, that was a lot. <laughs> Fletch – I got – we got Trin for free. She's a long-term care lease for the rest of her life. And Fletch was my most expensive one at $200. Yeah. So they spent over a million dollars on seven horses. Yikes. And basically what happened is that the Raylands, the Rayland Farm, Marilyn's parents – were skimming off the top. So, for example, and all, all of this, like the Carls were only kind of aware of this, and most of it didn't come out until the discovery phase of the trial. And so they had to do a lot of court documents and a lot of motions in order to get like more things added to the court case because it just like kept coming out because the Raylan, Raylan Farm wouldn't be honest about what was happening and like how much was being spent and who bought what for what. For example, Champinny. I hope I'm mispronouncing that because that's a horrible <laughs> name. But this horse's name is Champinny. He was bought by the Carls, and I'm using air quote by the Carls, for $600,000. It turned out his actual price was only $400,000 and that the Raylins took that extra $200,000 as their commission. But we're telling them that they weren't getting a commission, that we're just doing this for free, like, and then we're going to train the horse, so we're going to do this part. Like, there was a separate deal, obviously, about how Raylan Farm was going to make money. This was not part of it. 
This also happened with another horse named Mimosa. I mean, this happened with every single horse. They just, like, could only – they only had some of the information in the court document I was looking at because it just kept coming out. They didn't have all of it yet. So Mimosa, the horse was real cost. The seller received $90,000, but the Carls ended up paying $150,000 for the horse. And again, same story. They said um, that they were not taking any money for it, like off the sales price, like out of it. That's what they were telling the family, that it was like a secret profit they were making. So those are the three cases I had access to that I could find. My understanding of how that one played out is that the Carls did get a chunk of that money back or whatever. They were found to be like the winners of the court case of the trial. I just didn't have access to all of the documents. Uh, Unfortunately, Maryland, some states are pretty liberal with what you can find online as far as court documents. Maryland is not one of those. And I think I accidentally (laughs) ended up somewhere I was not supposed to be. And I got a very rude message on my face on my computer and it said that I could be punished and go to jail if I tried to log into this website or go and proceed any further. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good. But like there were references to other cases that were occurring in 2018 and 2019 that I found. I just couldn't get the documents too. So last court case that I'm going to share with you. The t- I found this in an article. I don't know where I found this. I think it's dressagenews.com. Uh, titled this one, Dressage writer Carolyn Rothman, husband Benjamin Meredith, and Rick Rockefeller uh, are sued in Palm Beach County Court over alleged fraud horse deal. And you're like, Kelsey, who, who are those people? Um, Marilyn's last name between 2008 and 2014 was Meredith. This is her ex-husband. And I'm just saying, girl, I'm glad you got out because he doesn't sound like a very great guy. But tigers don't change their stripes. And I think if he was with her in 2008 when all those other, like, I don't it just he's very similar to her parents. We'll just put it like that. And this lawsuit, Ruth A. Green is suing Benjamin and his new wife, Carolyn, who is a dressage writer, team U.S a dressage writer as well, um, and a resident of Palm Beach. Essentially, Ruth A. Green is an older woman. She is in her 65s. Uh, well, like, six, she is 65. How many 65s? She's in her 65s, um, in her mid-60s. And she is someone who knows nothing about the horse world uh, and the equestrian sport. She says that, not me. She put that into her uh, documents. Palm Beach is a wealthy area, and so I'm assuming Miss uh, Ruth A. Green had some money. Basically, what happened is she met uh, a friend of Benjamin's who was like, if you buy this horse for me for $40,000, you'll get a return tomorrow for $80,000. And she was like, that's a good deal. I'm going to do that. And guess what? It happened. She got that $80,000. And she was like, that was awesome. Let's do it again. And that's when Benjamin Meredith approached her, because this was his friend, and said, hey, can you buy me this horse? It's only $400,000. And if... You buy me this horse, you're going to get money. Anyways, what happened was this woman wired the money. And as soon as she wired the money, uh, Benjamin and someone from his team called her and was like, so this is a bummer, but we like miscalculated how um, currency gets translated because like the horse is from a different country. And we like did the currency exchange rate wrong. And so like it's not enough money and they're not going to let the horse loose until you like give us more money. So you're going to have to pay more money. And she was like, Okay, I'm so sorry. Let me do that for you. Oh. Turns out the horse was like already here in the US. They'd already bought it for Benjamin. Like 
the horse like this woman got scammed out of additional money the horse wasn't four hundred thousand dollars and it was this elderly woman and she's like that's just a classic scam like people love targeting the elderly because they're like you know living loose with their extra palm beach money she's like you know palm beach wealthy and it's just stupid oh that hurts my heart so much that just makes me so sad and feel so like dirty and just bad also was not the first time uh benjamin meredith was being sued that month the other one was where he um told a woman that he sold her horse for $300,000 and she was like, cool, sweet, nice, I like that. Uh, He actually sold the horse for like $900,000 and profited over half a million dollars. So what I'm saying is her parents are shady and her ex-husband is shady and where, you know, the shady apple don't fall far from the shady tree and then you marry someone who's also shady. It's just a lot of shade. And with that... Robin, I believe it is your turn to take over the microphone. What I went into depth with was looking into the various incidences that she herself has had. So kind of moving away from those that she associates with and just looking at those that she, like the horses that she has had actual incidences with. And I went beyond just that, uh, the blood in horses' mouths, because even though that is really dramatic and drastic, that's kind of all that people focus on. And there's actually a little bit more out there on things as well as like kind of how the FBI has responded to her and reacted to these various occurrences. So I'm just kind of going to start from the beginning of, I guess the beginning of time back in 2011, really, when I think the first big red flag came about with Marilyn Little. And I did look at the FBI um, like warnings that they hand out as well as the yellow cards. And for some reason, I couldn't find where they kept track of their show jumping records. So even though she was on the show jumping team and stuff, I couldn't go past like the last 12 months and seeing if she had incurred any warnings or yellow cards in her time show jumping. So that's kind of a gray area. I wish I'd been able to find it. I, I, I probably just completely missed the like one link that popped up for it, you know? I wonder if you could have found it in the or can find it in the Wayback Machine, which I'm becoming a huge fan of. I tried. So when I went back and I clicked the different links and stuff, it like popped up that this this page is no longer available. Looking at like kind of her list of incidents, I would say the first red flag really came up in 2011 when she was featured on the cover page of Practical Horseman riding her horse at the time, Udana. And what really like pops off the page at me, and if you go and like search this picture, search the cover, it'll also pop up different pictures of her at the event riding this horse. And when you look closer at the horse's face and bridle, that setup that he has going on, you'll notice that she has a flash. But instead of just like a normal leather flash, it's a chain flash. And yes, while she's well known nowadays for like crazy bit contraptions and stuff, I think that was our first red flag. The whole point of a flash is to either keep the horse from opening their mouth, sticking their tongue over the bit, keep them from crossing their jaw. Like the point of the flash is purely to restrict their mouth movements and keep them from exhibiting those behaviors a leather strap a leather flash does that just fine a chain flash the only reason you need a chain is that way it has more bite yeah and the chain was on the chin like it wasn't i think the nose part was leather and then it changed to chain around like the lips and then the the back of the chin right and the way that you tighten flashes down is they typically get tightened past that two finger measurement when when she was applying this chain flash is that chain wasn't sitting loosely on the horse's face no no I didn't measure it with my own like I didn't go out and measure her bridle or anything but I would assume the way you would adjust that and look at the pictures it's not dangling loose around the horse's muzzle it's 
sitting there snug. So that chain was in contact with the horse's like sensitive muscle and sensitive tissue that entire time. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense, but maybe she knows something we don't know. Yeah, maybe, potentially. When I looked into finding the different incidences that she's had with blood in her horse's mouths, I think the first one that I became aware of was in 2018. I didn't really know at the time that she had, I guess, a history of this occurring. And when I started looking into it, I got confusing, conflicting numbers on how frequently this has happened. The vast majority out there say it's five times, but I found quite a few different articles that actually says this has occurred seven different times at events that she has been seen with blood in her horse's mouths. I could only confirm five of those, so those are the ones that I'll share. But events that she has been at, it ranges from five to seven different times on various different horses that she has been seen with blood in her horse's mouths. I don't know about you, but I can count on one hand. Actually, I can count on one finger the number of times I've ever had blood in my horse's mouth in my entire time riding of like various different horses that I've ridden. I can count one time that it's happened. Marilyn Little's her first official documentation of blood in her horse's mouth occurred in 2015 at Galloway International CCI Three Star, and this occurred with her horse RF Demeter. And at the time, it was cleared by the ground jury, and it was determined that it was caused by a bite to the tongue. So the horse bit her tongue, therefore causing bleeding in her mouth. The next instance also happened in 2015, and this was at Fair Hill CCI Three Star, and this happened with a different horse, RF West Indy. The ground jury once again cleared her to continue and attributed this to a bitten cheek. And each time one of these instances comes about, she always has a nice floofy kind of like political safe word statement that comes out and says like, I would never do this to harm my horse. I strongly support the FBI. I understand the rules in place. And it's always like a very non-committal, non, it doesn't really take responsibility for much, but it's an apology or like a statement that says, I care very much for my horses. I would never let this happen to my horses. It's happened to my horses. Here are my sponsors. The third instance this happened was in 2015 again. So within one year, she has three different instances of blood in three different horses' mouths. This time it happened at Bocello? Bocleo? Bocolo? Bocolo. 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 It happened at Bocolo. It was a CCI three-star, and this happened with RF Scandalous. And the ground jury once again cleared her to continue it was ruled as the horse had bit her cheek and she ended up withdrawing at some point due to a cornet band injury but it wasn't due to the blood in the horse's mouth the fourth incident where she had blood in her horse's mouth was in 2016 at fairhill cci three star with rf scandalous again and this was attributed to a fitting issue with the bridle at the time, the ground jury came out and said that they think it was due to too tight of a noseband and the bit causing a pinch and that created enough friction that caused the horse to bleed in their mouth. If you recall, if you recall from our noseband bitless episode, isn't that like determined to not be like, it's not supposed to happen or likely to happen. It's not supposed to happen. And also a lot of times, you know, growing up, we would sometimes put dirty bits in our ponies' mouths because we were sh- terrible little kids and didn't always clean our tack correctly. My pony would sometimes get rubs in the corner of her mouth and she would get open sores a little bit or like cracked lips. And those never bled to any sort of extent of the pictures that you see when you look these things up. A lot of these pictures, like, while yes, it sounds relatively light that it was a bit in cheek, there's a lot of blood in most of these instances. A lot more than I think most would see. And I get it. Head wounds, mouth wounds, they bleed a lot. But it's still a lot of blood. 
But yeah, but once again, that 2016 Fairhill event, the ground jury cleared to continue. And then the fifth really big instance that just absolutely, I think, kind of blew it out of the water, and this is where I became aware of her, was at the 2018 Land Rover Kentucky, also known as Rolex CC four-star event. And this happened with RF Scandalous again, and they attributed to it a bit lip, and potentially she hit her face on the landing of jump three. And the ground jury cleared her to continue. And this time she took a bit of a different route in when blood came about was that she noticed it in the warm-up arena, went and told the vets, had them check her horse over, clear her to go, and then said that apparently on jump number three, our scandalist stumbled on the landing and that's potentially where it reopened up because they saw and spectators saw blood in the horse's mouth later on in the course. The only thing is that when you start taking a look, like when you look at these instances individually, sure, they don't seem that suspicious. They don't seem like, it's completely blue. Accidents happen. I've met my horse. I've seen her do stupid things. Mm -hmm. I understand that she like causes injuries to herself and I would love her to stop, but she still does it. I think, you know, if she wanted to attribute and say, RF Scandalous has a habit of biting her lip, biting her cheeks and biting herself when being ridden and that is what causing the blood. I think more people will be willing to get behind that argument and back it up by saying it's attributable to this one horse. But the fact that we have over three years of repeat blood showing up in three different horses' mouths, that means something different. That tells a different story. You change the facts, you change the answer. If you're going to tell me then that upper level horses need bigger bits to control themselves, why is no other upper level rider having this in, like having this occur? Yeah. And actually, when you do go look at FBI um, yellow cards and warnings, there is, I think, like two other riders that have had instances of this, but it's not to this degree. It's not to the same number of rep- repetitions. So... While it does happen, it's on a much lesser scale and it only happens like once these upper level riders in their 20 year long careers. So how has she joined the eventing community back in 2011 and now in 10 years had five to seven different instances of blood in her horse's mouths? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And I will throw out, I do have a thoroughbred who is a lip biter. Like it is obnoxious the amount of times he's bit his lip and taken huge chunks out. I don't know why he's prone to it. It's not... It doesn't happen while I'm riding. It happens in turnout. Never once blood from his mouth while being ridden. And it's something he's done his whole life. So like he's a real bites his lips. And no blood on him. Not even like I don't find him with blood. It's you don't notice it until you're putting the bit in his mouth. And you're like, no, not again. Stop doing that. Or your vet finds it. Like he bit through his lip like last year. And my vet found it while she was floating his teeth. And like he bit through his lip. No blood on him anywhere. And I see him every day. There's a lot of questions that come to mind. And when you look at the 2018 Rolex incident, that's the fifth time officially at like these big competitions that you've seen blood in this horse's mouth. But a lot of controversy started popping up even after her dressage, where when she came out of the dressage arena, people noticed the pictures showed that the flash was insanely tight on this horse's face. A lot of people that were backing her up, I know a big proponent or supporter of hers was Patrick uh, McGoffin, who passed away in early 2020. But he was really close with Marilyn Little and was a very well-known, renowned instructor in Area 2 for up-and-coming riders, young riders, and some upper-level riders. And like one of his things that he would say when he was replying to everybody that was asking about the flash or saying, but don't you think the flash was too tight on this horse's face? You can clearly see it indenting the horse's skin was that, well, she's just a snorter. All she does is flare her nostrils. So that's why it looks tighter than it is. Right. And everyone says, well, there's ground jury there. They measure it. How could it possibly have passed if they measured it? And you look at the pictures and I can't help but ask, how did that possibly pass? Yeah. There is no way 
that that passed and yet we all saw it there yeah and there was no warning for that there was no yellow there was nothing no no repercussions happened on that one the other thing people really know about the 2018 scandal was that after she finished her rolex run she's coming off at the end of the course the groom runs up with a towel and immediately wipes horse's mouth the first action isn't to start loosening a girl take off tack or anything is to wipe the horse's mouth which maybe they just have a habit of that in their barn maybe that's something that she has always done i don't know right that's i guess that's not you know the end all be all but really what the biggest nail in the coffin was was the groom shoving grass in the horse's mouth before going out on course if they did and i know they did report that the horse was bleeding from their mouth and they reported it to the vet then they knew about the blood and it wasn't an issue so why were they trying to hide it and it wasn't like them were feeding grass to the horse as a treat you can clearly see in the video she is shoving grass in the horse's mouth and like trying to change the color of that foam. Yeah, that's the one that like I actually don't really care that you wipe the horse's mouth off after cross country because to me, you knew you had an injury going in. You would be expecting it as you came out. Again, everybody knows about it. You just told the vet before they cleared you. So again, you don't have to hide it. You don't have to wipe it off. Everybody already knows. And that like that's fact. Everybody already knows. We're not just like assuming she said that she everyone confirmed that that's what she did there's no need to hide it so we don't need to wipe it off and you don't need to shove grass in the horse's mouth that's silly if everyone knows then everyone then knows who are you hiding it from the vets know and you've been cleared to ride who are you hiding it from social media training warrior keyboard warriors right and one of the things people have claimed is that she has her stalkers she has these people that go out and intentionally take photos of her and then they post them to help tear her down ruin her career because they're mad and they're salty that this show jumper came over and started winning and everything else and I understand that to a degree, but at the same time, these pictures exist. At the same time, this is happening. If there was nothing there to report, there'd be nothing there to report. You can take pictures of me riding my horse all day long. You're not going to find blood in her mouth. You know what's really interesting? Her mentality super reminds me of um, someone else's mentality. <laughs> someone else <laughs> who gets on Instagram a lot, not an inventor, um, who gets on Instagram and just assumes everyone hates her. That's like their mentalities are the same. Their mentalities are very similar, but there's a huge difference, I think, in those two. One of them hasn't been caught with blood in her horse's mouth. One of them shows us absolutely everything she's doing to fix her horse and save her horse, even though, like, girl, give it a rest. Like, it's, at some point, it's enough. Well, the other is hiding everything. Right, and part of people's, like, reaction to this one, why it got so blown up, was that the, people are so frustrated that no action is coming about on this none of the organizations at the top are doing anything to condemn her actions to like even encourage her to change what she's doing because shown five times five to seven times she's had blood in the horse's mouth and nothing has happened therefore she can keep continuing on with no repercussions even if it is all accidents why are you not changing to make sure these accidents stop happening and the first time that she actually did lose sponsors was at the 2018 after rolex she lost the Enviro Equine and Pet Sponsorship, as well as MDC Strip Sponsorship. I actually found a really interesting post. This is also from Patrick McGoffin, who made a post in response after the Rolex 2018, talked about the horses riding, the courses, and at the end, he starts talking a little bit about Marilyn Little. And one of the things he said was, horses live five minutes away from suicide. Marilyn's problem at the start box was not at all the only incident that we saw over the weekend. Without question, she handled the problem quickly and professionally. 
there were far worse situations that nearly received yellow cards that the public never became aware of. The stewards were excellent and each problem was dealt with quickly, fairly, and professionally. So here's the thing with that statement. One, five minutes away from suicide, I have questions. I mean, they're a faulty design. We all can admit that whoever designed horses did not know about horses. <laughs> Fair. But the second thing is like, while we're all outraged that nothing is coming about, no one is taking action or repercussions against Marilyn Little, what are all these other situations happening behind the scenes that you're telling me blood in the mouth is not the worst thing happening? I'm sorry, but that's alarming. And I, I think this is where like we really start setting up where FBI clearly draws a line in the sand with Marilyn Little and other riders of her caliber and such. Ugh, I, like I don't know how to do the transition here, but it's the weirdest thing, right? Because I just listed off several different incidences where she has had blood in her horse's mouth. And if you go through the FBI records on warnings, whether that's verbal, written, whether she actually received a yellow card or not, none of those incidences did she ever receive a yellow card or even a warning. What Marilyn Little has received a yellow card for was back in February 2017 for her groom handing equipment over the fence into the enclosed stable area without the required pass. Seriously? Seriously. My eyes just rolled so hard back into my head. <laughs> How is that what they are willing to hand out a yellow? Like, I am all for enforcing the rules. If you want to enforce that little rule, go for it. But let's also enforce the bigger rules out there. What was she handed, though? How was she, what was she handed? I don't know. All I could see on it and was that it was due to the groom handing equipment over when she didn't have the pass to allow her to hand equipment or pass it back and forth. And when Marilyn Little got back to the barn, she saw her groom in an argument with a steward and approached that and apparently after a conversation it resulted in a yellow card being given to her huh interesting right like uh, a lot of questions on that one let's chalk that all up to huh but now if you go back and look at our horses one of Marilyn Little's very big arguments in support of this is that these are upper level horses that she's running these are horses at the top of their game that you cannot just run them in a snaffle. You've never competed at this level. How could you possibly know what these horses require to run in? Sometimes with these different setups, you get different results that result in the horse biting their cheek. But if you actually go back to some of these horses before Marilyn was riding them, they have completely different setups. For instance, RF Demeter, one of the horses that she was seen to have blood in the horse's mouth, as well as known for having pretty dramatic bit setup on her, was actually previously known as Cavalor Demeter and rent around Bocolo in a loose ring. RF Scandalous, who was previously known as Kanoa, was competed to the one-star level in a traditional snaffle. She purchased a horse by the name Tabasco from Ingrid Klimke, who was also being ridden and competed in a snaffle up to the three-star level. In addition to this, RF West Indy, who was seen with blood in its mouth, was wearing um, like a twisting pelham with a fairly tight flash, Marilyn Little sold this horse. That horse was seen less than a month later with an up-and-coming young rider being ridden out on cross-country in a snaffle. If these are all those overly strong horses that require this heavily bidding and these weird contraptions she comes up with that have heavy-duty nosebands as well as gags and twister like we are familiar with the crazy setup she has going on, it doesn't add up. These are all horses that you can go back and look at their history and look at their records that they were competing. They are used to competing on courses. They're used to jumping big cross-country jumps, going out on cross-country in a much milder setup. It doesn't make sense where this change came about to absolutely having to crank these horses down. And you can find pictures of Marilyn running these horses, riding them in the very beginning when she first gets them. Our Scandalous and Tabasco in the beginning, you can see her riding them in just simple 
snaffles. So it doesn't make sense her argument behind why they need this heavy duty bidding. I wonder if it's because when you, um, and I know this comes from like show jumping a lot of times, right? You want that extra leverage because if your horse comes in too deep, you need to be able to pull them up by their head. So I do know there is this desire to use a little bit more serious leverage bits. And I do I get it. Like if you're jumping that high, the last thing you want is to come in too deep and make a mistake. So what if it comes from like the show jumping side of her that is thinking that this is what we do in the show jumping ring. So we also need to do it in cross country and stadium as well. Which, you know, I can give her the benefit of the doubt on that one. Not every horse is going to keep running in a snaffle. Sometimes you change, you have different cues, you know, things happen and change. But I think it just kind of highlights this big change in mentality and handling of these horses because there is a difference between a snaffle, a gag, and like whatever the heck she has going on with RF Scandalous. Well, I think she's got that Hackmore leverage nose band with a double twisted uh, or quick twist, double twisted. Well, she was running Gudana in is actually, I think, even scarier because there was ropes, there was gags, there was chains. Like that was a whole contraption. I don't even understand what she ran Udana in. That one, like I kind of, I at least understand the premise of Kitty's setup. I do not understand the other horse's setup. Like, there are ropes going places where I don't know where that rope is going. But there's a middle ground, and I, like, she's completely missed the middle ground. There was a middle ground that, like, most of us would totally accept and understand. And when you get to that level, you need that certain level of control. You need to be able to, if you get into a tight spot, quickest way, obviously, to control horses through their face and be able to, like, get them out of that tight spot. That way no one gets hurt. But, like, she's completely missed that mark. I guess, like, kind of moving on, leaving the bits behind, because that's you can talk about that all day long there's also another issue that i came across with her and that was when she would ride rf demeter um i had this really hasn't appeared to be an issue with rf scandalous i think they're just partly completely different horses right they different styles of endurance different ways of running and going but she had numerous falls with rf demeter and i'm not talking about her falling off she had those two what i'm talking about is her and the horse fall and in fact, when you go back to the time frame when she was running RF Demeter, there's a recurring theme and a recurring history of her running this horse in a strange pattern. They start off really strong at the beginning of the course. And of course, like how most horses are going to end up at the end is they're going to be more tired, jumping a little bit less carefully. But repeatedly, she would show this horse at the very end of the course, absolutely strung out and exhausted looking to the point where she had multiple instances where they fell. Her and the horse together ended up falling. And I went back and I watched our numerous of her runs and I listened to the commentary. And there was actually quite a few different instances when the commentators at the end of the course would mention, wow, that horse looks tired. Or wow, the horse is really losing her form here. She looks exhausted. So it wasn't like a hidden secret. It wasn't something people weren't aware that this horse would look tired towards the end of the course. It was like a repeat way that this horse would run and nothing ever changed. So there was a big fall that Marilyn Little had at Rolex in 2016 that was eerily similar to that of Elisa Wallace's fall at 2017 Badminton. And the reason why I bring this up is because I think it shows a really good example of how two upper level riders are handled completely differently with pretty much the same fall. So in 2017, Elisa Wallace took Johnny, her horse, Simply Priceless, to Badminton. They ran pretty much the entirety of the course there at the very end. And you can kind of see them. They look, both horse and rider look absolutely exhausted. And Elisa Wallace has a whole apology about it, a whole video that kind of explains what was going through her mind at the time when it happened. 
but essentially Johnny got to one of the end um, jumps and hung a front leg on it and he kind of tripped and stumbled on landing and Elisa Wallace popped off after he tripped and they both like were exhausted and she got kind of emotionally caught up in the moment afterwards and many got upset with her because she lays back on the ground for a second and then stands up and starts undoing her vest and she doesn't really make a move towards her horse. However, if you watch any of her videos, she does care deeply for her horses. You know, that's not really in questions. We people got really upset that it looked like she kind of neglected him at the end there. And she got absolutely destroyed for this. People were begging, like asking, why was she not pulled up sooner? Why wasn't more done? You could clearly tell they were tired earlier in the course. And she was absolutely raked over the coals for this fall. FEI, USCF, USCA all just hung her out to dry. They just left her there to be absolutely shredded. She ended up getting a yellow card from the ground jury that day. And her reaction was that like, yeah, I deserved it. This was something I didn't really know to look for these signs. Now that I know it, as soon as I see this, I would have pulled up. I should have pulled up. Like all day long, she accepts accountability for her actions and doesn't blame anything on anyone else and if you go and watch her today she's really taken a change to how she's doing her endurance training as well as like this hasn't happened again however if you look at Marilyn Little's 2016 Rolex ride she has pretty much the same fall where the horse is going strong at the beginning of the course and then gets absolutely exhausted and at the end of the course RF Demeter starts scrambling over a couple different jumps and there's a combination right before the final table where she kind of scrambles over them and on the back side of the jump probably a few strides out Marilyn Little gives a couple big giant kicks gives her a smack on the butt with the whip when she gets to the next big table she kind of clambers over it and just crumples on the back side both horse and rider go down you know they're down for probably a couple of seconds they get back up and walk off the course in this instance there was no yellow card given there was no warning given. And it is pretty much the same style of fall. And in fact, to add insult to injury, she was late to the Rolex start box that day. She was late and she didn't receive a warning or a yellow card for that. If you look at Blenheim uh, for Tammy Smith, she was late to the start box in a similar way and she received a yellow card on that time. But Marilyn Little didn't. Granted, Tammy Smith apparently had quite the ugly ride and she ended up retiring due to a lack of control. And maybe they just used the yellow card in that instance for being late to attribute other actions. That it would still apply to Marilyn Little's case because it wasn't just her being late to the start box. She also ran a horse exhausted. Yeah, it's silly. Yeah, what makes you decide to give it to one and not the other? I don't I get it. Everything is an individual, individual circumstances. And I I just, I'm not saying there's a conspiracy theory to protect her. I'm just saying there's efforts to protect her. I understand that it also depends on the ground jury. But how is the ground jury always skewed in her favor? Don't know. And I was hoping, I wanted to start Googling this Christian uh, Landolt person because he is the technical delegate that was at Fairhill in 2016 and is given a lot of flack for saying she was fine. Uh, And I'm just curious to know a little bit more about who he is. So it's on my to-Google list. Do you want to know a weird thing about one of her Fairhill events? Okay. At one point, she actually waved out and retired on course and then went and jumped another jump. What? And nothing happened. She waved out, she retired, and then jumped one more jump and then exited the course. And if you go and look through FBI stuff, so many other people get like yellow cards, warnings after continuing after like three refusals or something of even like a similar nature. So why should he even get a warning for that? A verbal warning. All I'm asking is for is a verbal warning here. To add insult to injury, Marilyn Little had another fall with RF Demeter in a very similar style where the horse was kind of running very unbalanced, strung out. And this one happened at the Wellington Eventing Showcase. Kind of shows that this 
pattern of running her horse exhausted to the point where they eventually would fall, it's like it was a pattern. Not only at did she fall at the 2016 uh, Rolex? She also had a comment at her 2014 Rolex where she ran RF Demeter. At the very end of the course, you could see the horse, her pattern, where she, once she gets tired, she starts clambering over the jumps and ticking legs on them. And at the end of her 2014 Rolex run, that starts happening. And the commentators mention this. They say, wow, she's starting to look a little tired. She's getting really loose with her legs. You know, hopefully she doesn't fall here. Marilyn's just trying to get her home safely. So it's a repeat occurrence. In 2017, at the Wellington Showcase, she had a pretty dramatic fall where both horse and rider hit the ground. RF Demeter rolled completely over the top of her, popped back up, trotted away while Marilyn laid on the ground for probably like 15 seconds before she kind of got unsteadily to her hands and her knees. Mm -hmm. But she was not looking good. It was a bad fall. And the weirdest thing about it was it was recorded incorrectly. It was recorded as an RF, which is a rider fall, instead of an MR, which is a re- like mandatory retirement where the horse falls. Which this led me down a whole weird thing because like for one, no one talked about this fall that she really had at the Wellington Showcase. Which could be attributed to the fact that Mark Bellissimo, who owns Chronicle of the Horse, was also like his brainchild was that Wellington Showcase. So maybe he just didn't want bad press to get out about the showcase, right? Want to keep it doing well, bringing in sponsors for eventing and such. But it doesn't really explain why the fall was recorded incorrectly. Some have claimed it could be partly due to the fact that you get two mandatory retirements, horse falls within 12 months of each other, which this was within the 12 months of that Rolex fall, that then you have to drop back down a level. But part of the issue is that the Wellington Showcase actually wasn't a recognized event, so technically it wouldn't affect her scores. But all I'm saying is if you have two times, like if you, if your horse falls on cross country more than once within 12 month period, there is something else going on. I myself would be asking my, like, huge questions, right? Yes. The horse would probably be getting permanently retired from my barn, at least at that level. And I actually, I'm going to have to do an episode all on this, all on its own, right? Because we're already running long on this one. But yeah. this is a recurring theme, actually, for FEI recording for horse falls as rider falls. They record them incorrectly. In fact, I found one that happened back in, it was like 2015, 2016, where a horse and rider combination fell at Plantation Fields at the CIC three star in 2015 and it was recorded as a rider fall when in fact both horse and rider fell together. Later 2016 Rolex both horse and rider fell again there and this instance if the first one had been recorded correctly they would be required to drop back down a level and re-qualify. However because that wasn't recorded correctly they were able to then go on to the fork in 2016 where once again both horse and rider fell there was no repercussions. But that's three times that horse fell on course within a one-year period. That's crazy. Yeah, like, that it just, ah. it is crazy. Okay, so I just paused for a second because I'm like side-googing still. Marilyn Little received a yellow card at the 2013 Rolex as well for incorrect behavior leaving the venue after a fall without submitting to the examination by official medical officer. Hey, I was going to get there. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I thought, I'm sorry. I was like, continue on. No, no, no. Okay, so I'll, I'll get into that because my next part was like other incidences beyond, you gotcha. know, her and her horses both falling and now her horse is bleeding from the mouth. Other incidences include, you know, that was that she has had actually a few warnings in the past. One of her verbal warnings she received was for horse abuse back in 2013 with RF Demeter for excessive use of bit after jumping. And this happened in May, which if you, you know about yellow card um, situations, if you receive two or more within a 12 month period, they are given a suspension of 60 days. What's really weird is she only received a verbal warning for 
abuse, excessive use of the bit, yet she received a yellow card one month prior for leaving the course before being checked over by medical personnel. Interesting. Doesn't add up to me. Why was it? Why did she not receive a yellow card for that? Was it because they didn't want her to be suspended for 60 days? Because to me, those two incidences, why would you receive? Does it raise their insurance because it was a greater risk to them that she left without getting checked over and they could have been held liable? Is that what they're trying to cover? But they don't care about the horse? Excessive use of the bit? Like, it, it doesn't make sense, right? The instances where she has gotten a yellow card don't add up to the times where she hasn't even gotten a verbal warning or when she has gotten a verbal warning. Like, it doesn't make sense. The last thing I'll add, and this kind of brings us into our final thoughts, is that it doesn't just stop at Marilyn Little. That's the biggest issue, is it has a trickle-down effect. It goes past her. You know, it goes past her. It appears that this sacrifice of horse welfare in hope of a medal or placing and competing at an upper-level event extends to, like, those surrounding her. Not only do her parents and her ex-husband have some shady dealings, but I spoke to a saddle fitter out here on the East Coast who has had the opportunity and ability to work with, like, quite a few big-name riders as well as attend others in their barns, such as, like, their regular students, their grooms, their working students, etc. And a few years back, this saddle fitter was working with one of Marilyn Little's working students. At the time, at their saddle fitting appointment, she noticed right off the bat the horse saddle had a broken tree in it and the horse had been getting rubbed and started developing scar hair and like was very sore in the back from being ridden in this broken tree saddle. While like that happens on occasions, you know, it's not necessarily something to immediately condemn that rider. When she told the girl what was happening and explained, you know, this is the issue with your saddle. It has the broken tree. It's going to take about two months for a new saddle to be made, sent and received for you. The working student's response was that, well, it's show season. I can't take time off for show season. And so she decided to continue riding in that broken tree saddle. Yeah, yikes. And still regularly go to events because she didn't want to give up her show season. And it's that mentality that's being perpetuated by Marilyn Little's yeah. action. It's that trickle-down effect that has bigger ramifications than just one person doing. I, why the working student didn't just find a replacement saddle in the meantime, I don't know. Maybe she actually did. But to the saddle fitter, she immediately said, like, no, I can't wait for a new saddle to come in. I will, I have, a, like, she had a show that coming weekend that was going to ride in her Broken Tree saddle at that show. Yeah, I think the point is to show out that it, show that it is a whole group of people who have made the conscious decision not only to support Marilyn, but also to do other strange, odd, and shady things to their horses and in their barns. That it is a whole community uh that supports her and like my final thoughts on this is the fact that while this whole episode was about Marilyn Little I think she's just a great example to show how things have been skewed in her favor and they've chosen to make examples out of other riders such as like Elisa Wallace with her fall which was so similar to Marilyn Little's the ramifications the results the yellow card versus not a single warning was given is so different this is a bigger issue that deals with FEI, USEF, and other organizations that are out there willing to dismiss the valid horse welfare concerns in favor of those that are winning. And it's not going to stop. It's not going to change. Because if you go and look at Marilyn Little's record over the last couple years, back to like late 2019, she has been in the top three of every single event she's been going to with RF Scandalist, except for one where she placed 13th. So nothing's going to change because she's winning. They don't care. Nothing's going to happen. Because this rider continues to win, so things will continue to be brushed off. Yeah, it's extremely frustrating. So I do have some final thoughts um, that I want to share with you or some final like pieces of evidence. 
So this is from a June 4th, 2019 letter. It was written um, by the resigning managing director of eventing at USCF, Joanne Morris. So I'm just going to share her little clip um, or her little letter with you guys as well as read that final blog post. So the following year, we had some good upswing with the Pan Am team and individual gold in Canada led by Marilyn Little and RF Scandalous. They delivered in every phase and the event absolutely came down to the very last fence in show jumping. If you are still reading, thank you. And for that, I will leave you with my three wishes for the future. One, that more horse, U.S. horses remain at the top of the sport for multiple championship cycles. That means we need to study footing, the number of runs, the lengths of vacations, and how we manage them, etc. Just because we can event 12 months a year doesn't mean we should. Fair enough. Good goal. <laughs> uh, goal number two, understanding that there is a difference between competing at the highest level and being an elite athlete. One result doesn't make someone great. Greatness is born out of the consistent repetition of excellence and producing results under extreme pressure. Predicting how someone is going to respond in different situations is the greatest variable. And I think when it comes to Maryland, they feel like they understand her, right? You just said top three at every event. That predictability is great. Like that is her biggest – Yeah, like that they're not going to give that up they're not going to give that up they just said that being able to predict someone's placing they're not going to give up and the third goal that she has was belief that the system isn't broken it isn't a club and it isn't without opportunity we will never get it all right but no one and no program does if you want to ride on the team Put your hand up. Send in your application. If you get denied, work harder. Beat the people ahead of you and apply again. Look at the people who are the best in the sport. They have been doing this for a long time. Read the recent stories of Tim Price and Piggy French. There are so many more bad days and good days in this business. Think of what other riders have gone through personally and professionally and been able to overcome. Think of what you have faced and achieved yourself. Never stop fighting, but fight with kindness and know that if you believe in the team, the team will have your back. Bah! It's, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, that third goal is very interesting. I mean, the big concern is that the system is broken and that for you to deny that and just, just keep raising your hand and just keep fighting, well, that's great. But if the system's not there to support you, ugh. The last little piece I want to share with you is that last blog, which was also posted October 16th to or October 19th, 2016. This comes from the $900 Facebook Ponies blog, and this is titled Fair Hill Part 3, The Thing We're All Talking About. I used up most of my rage last year at the first two instances and all of the fallout that came after I posted about it. Now I'm just left feeling demoralized, defeated, and disappointed. Disappointed that it happened again. Disappointed that this writer and her team not only seem to expect it, but have figured out how to get away with it. Disappointed in the fact that how it was handled is technically within the FEI rules as they're written. Disappointed in the governing bodies that seem more interested in defending it than stopping it. And disappointed in the image that this gives to the sport that I love. I am also embarrassed, truly and deeply embarrassed for my sport and the fact that this performance garnered someone a national three-star championship title. The media can't even post any pictures or videos of the winning horse from Cross Country Day because its mouth and chin are covered in blood. I think that says it all. Yeah, that's where we'll leave this. Um, you're welcome to hit us up on Instagram or the the emails to let us know your thoughts of Marilyn Little if you think this is 
just a case of a strong bit, heavy hands. Is she really just that unlucky or does she have an FEI guardian angel looking out for her? We were able to talk about a lot more information than I think is generally discussed when it comes to her name and surrounding some of the incidences or actions that have happened. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us through this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you have questions, comments, concerns. Let us know. You can always reach out to us on Instagram at inthebarn.pod. Um, remember to stay safe, stay classy, and stay in the saddle. Then keep blood out of your horse's mouth. Yeah, no, no bloody mouse. Yeah, try that bit list. See if that helps. Try that bit list. Bye, guys. Bye.